Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. That would indicate that these themes of Jesus' identity were already firmly developed and were nothing new to the Christian church. So the Gospel of John is just incredible. And this, this executive summary or these sparks notes or these cliff notes or this t- spiritual table of contents is essential to our understanding of Christ, to our, to our ability to decode, to understand and interpret Jesus. I can see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my life Every giant will fall The mountains will move Every chain of the past You've broken in two All the fear of the lies We're singing the truth That nothing is impossible with you Hello and welcome to today's edition of Grace to Live with Pastor Keith Crosby, lead pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are delighted that you've chosen to spend time with us here on the broadcast today, studying God's Word. We would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. Today we begin a brand new teaching series from the Gospel of John, a series that Pastor Keith has entitled, Decoding Jesus. This is a sermon series that Pastor Keith began preaching just after Easter Sunday and will be a systematic walkthrough verse by verse of the Gospel of John. On today's program, we will be hearing part one of a message entitled, Decoding the Historical Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with us today to the Gospel of John, chapter one. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study. Now, here we are, the week after Easter. You know, last, last week we talked about the one who rose, and we talked about the fact that the tomb was empty, and we dealt with the realities that there's no good explanation for the empty tomb. The historians, secular historians, understand that the tomb was empty. Everybody differs on why. Some people thought he just fainted and walked out. We, we dealt with all those ideas and saw that they didn't hold water, and the only explanation was that he rose. And what we're going to begin to do today is to decode, to understand, to interpret those events, to understand who Jesus is. We're having a series now in the Gospel of John entitled Decoding Jesus, the Historical Jesus, the God who became flesh. And what we're going to do now is work our way systematically through the Gospel of John and understand just who this Jesus is, just who this Jesus was, just who this Jesus will always be. And so... What we're going to do is we're going to look at John uh, chapter uh, 1, uh, verses 1 through 18. But I just want to sort of set this up by putting us all on the same page. We understand there's all kinds of confusion about Jesus. I'm reminded we're just uh, 194 days away from the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. And Martin Luther was walking through the forest at the height of the Reformation with all the pressure. You know, this one 30-something-year-old guy taking on the king of the world, so to speak. As he's walking and praying, he looks up and standing before him is Jesus in bodily form. And he looks at him and he turns away from him, walks away and goes, I, ha- I know of no image of Jesus except that which appears in the scripture. 
Because, you know, a lot of times we have our own conceptions of Jesus, and we'd like to think that Jesus is going to appear to us every day, but that wouldn't do much for the second coming. That would be the fifth, the 15th, the 500th coming, right? And we want to be careful. Because what if that Jesus was appearing as an angel of light to deceive, if that were even possible, the elect, right? The only Jesus that we know, the only Jesus you can know, is the Jesus of the Bible. And that's who we want to begin to decode and to understand. Our culture has different Jesuses. They have the Jesus who's just a nice do-gooder. They have Jesus, the wonderful uh, miracle worker. They have Jesus, the social justice crusaders. But all of these images that our culture has are just wrong, essentially. And the only historical record of Jesus, as we've talked about, the only credible historical record are the Gospels. And we understand that they withstand the test of historical scrutiny. We went through all that in our previous sermon last week. And we want to look, therefore, to the Bible, to the Gospels, to understand Jesus. And the Gospels that we're looking at is the Gospel of John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what we call synoptic Gospels or there's sort of a, a summary of his life and ministry. Theologians and scholars say that this is like the, the life and actions of Jesus. This is like his body. This is what he did physically. They look to the Gospel of John and say, this is the soul of Jesus. This is what he thought. This is what he said about himself. This is who he was as an individual. And so we want to look into the Gospel of John to understand Jesus' thinking about himself and his identity. The Gospel of John is sort of like uh, an unlock code to Jesus, if Jesus were software. It is uh, like the Rosetta Stone. If any of you know anything about the Rosetta Stone, uh, the Rosetta Stone was this rock that was found. And if we look at the next slide, on that rock were three different languages. And up until the time that the Rosetta Stone was found, nobody knew what Egyptian hieroglyphics meant. But because there were three languages on there, and there was ancient Greek, they could decode the hieroglyphics and interpret all the carvings in the pyramids and places like that. And the Gospel of John, in a similar fashion, helps us to decode Jesus. The Gospel of John was the last Gospel written, and it rounds out what, the, what Matthew, Mark, and Luke taught. It fills in the gaps. And so it's sort of the Rosetta Stone for us. Don't get me wrong, you can understand who Jesus is through all the Gospels. I'm not saying that. But just like the Rosetta Stone helped us to reverse engineer hieroglyphics and find out what they meant, the, 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 the Gospel of John can help us reverse engineer our understanding of Jesus and come away with a clearer understanding of who he was, what he said, what he taught, what he believed, where he came from, and where he is now. Now, just as an aside, when you look at hieroglyphics on that slide back there, it reminds us that emojis are nothing new, right? Now, we've just gone back in time, right? And we're communicating with emojis now like we did back there in Egypt. But back to the Gospel of John. We want to take the first 18 verses of the Gospel of John today and begin to decode who Jesus is. And these first 18 verses are called the prologue. Some people call them the spiritual table of contents for the Gospel of John. Others call it the executive summary for the Gospel of John if you're a business person. If you're a student, you could call it the Cliff Notes or the Sparks Notes for the Gospel of John. But basically, what happens with these first 18 verses is they raise up and identify all the themes to be on the lookout for as you move beyond those 18 verses. They bring up all the key themes of the Gospel of John, and they make us aware of what to look for. So if you're here today, and you're not a Christ follower, you're not a Christian, 
This sermon, this message, this talk will help you to understand things to watch for if you come back next week and give us a fair hearing, so to speak, as we work through the rest of the Gospel of John. It's interesting, uh, these first 18 verses are also thought to have been an ancient hymn that people sung in those days, that John recorded it in the beginning of his Gospel. And that's kind of interesting, too, because a lot of people think that our understanding of Jesus and who he is today as Christians really was developed over hundreds of years. But considering the Gospel of John was written around 90 A.D., toward the end of the Gospel writer's life, John's life, that would indicate that these themes of Jesus' identity were already firmly developed and were nothing new to the Christian church. So the Gospel of John is just incredible. And this, this executive summary, or these sparks notes, or these cliff notes, or this t- spiritual table of contents is essential to our understanding of Christ, to our, to our ability to decode, to understand and interpret Jesus. So let's get into the text. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. Beginning in verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. A Jew or a Greek reading those words would just be stunned. Because in the Greek, it's logos. And, the, and for the Greek mind, the logos is the explanation of all that is. In the Jewish mind... The word is like in the prophets or even in the, in the Pentateuch, it says, and the Lord, word of the Lord went out and accomplished this, and the word of the Lord went out and accomplished that. And so for either culture, when they would read these, these first couple of verses, they would be stunned. They would be set back on their heels, and they would be waiting to see what comes next. And we should too. Verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. Here we picture Jesus as the source of life, as the creator. And, and light here is, comes into play because light is a metaphor for clarity. It's a metaphor for life. It's a metaphor for understanding illumination. So John is reaching out to everybody here, Jew and Gentile, Greek and Jew, non-Jew, everybody. This is an every person's gospel. Verse 6 There was a man sent from God whose name was John. That's his John the Baptist it's referring to here, not John the writer of the gospel. He came as a witness, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness to the light. What you see here is a theme of witnesses that will show up throughout the gospel of John. People bearing witness, people testifying to what Jesus is, to what Jesus did, to what Jesus said. And John is the first of these witnesses, as we'll see as we move forward. Verse 9, the true light, in other words, John is a lesser light. The true light, the the word which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born... Not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. What we see here is a means to an end. You know, this light came into the world to give people eternal life. This true light, which gives light to everyone, which gives an understanding of God to everyone who will listen, was coming into the world. And the world didn't recognize him because he came as a person. He came as a human being. He came as an average person who was not much to look at, as Isaiah writes. He came into the world and the world didn't notice. He came to his own people who should have been primed, ready, willing, and able to receive him. And they would not receive him. 
But to those who would receive him, to those who would embrace him, to those who would listen to what he had to say and trust him, to them he gave the right, the ability to become children of God, to become his followers, to become his people. How do you do that? Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And here John talks as a witness himself, John the the gospel writer. And we have seen his glory. We have seen his presence. Glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Verse 15, John bore witness about him and cried out, this is he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. There's almost a little riddle in there because John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, first cousin, was six months older than Jesus. But what he writes there in the original language is that Jesus existed before me. What we see here is the word, the logos, became flesh. For the Greek philosophical mind, the idea of the logos becoming flesh is beyond the realm of their imagination. And for the Jewish mind, the idea that the word of the Lord becoming flesh was news too. So anybody reading this in that era would just be stunned. They would just be on the edge of their seat. Today, we're not so much on the edge of our seat because we have the whole 66 books of the Bible, but in that time, they did not. There would be a stunned silence. There would be an interest, a wonder for Jew and Greek alike. Verse 16, for from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace, mercy upon mercy. For the law was given through Moses and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. You have the the prologue beginning and ending with the theme of God, the Word being God. The God who was at the Father's side alludes to the Trinity. The God who was with God in John 1 refers to the Trinity. What we have here is a hint of the deity of Christ. We have the hint that Jesus is God, that Jesus is a God of mercy. And we have the fact that mercy comes by receiving grace and truth. This is big, too, because today we're either into grace or truth. Usually the Christian church and even the culture are people of extremes. It's all about grace. We don't care what you did. doesn't matter. doesn't matter. We don't want to be harsh. We don't want to be critical. We don't want to be this. We don't want to be that. We just want grace. Or over here, you have sometimes the, you know, uh, the angry fundamentalist type. It's all about truth, 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 and we don't care about grace, grace, grace. The bottom line, without grace, there is no truth, and without truth, there is no grace. And Jesus was the perfect balance of grace and truth. And so with these 18 verses, what I want to do is to give you five keys to unlocking, to decoding, to understanding Jesus. And the first key is this one. Number one, realize that Jesus is the ultimate decoder. We're going to decode the decoder today, or at least start to. We're going to reverse engineer and understand who Jesus is. We're going to start in verse 18 and work backwards. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. The New American Standard nails this far better than the ESV. Much more clear, much more easy to understand. No one has ever seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is from in the bosom of the Father, this last four words in English, he has explained him. Jesus helps us to decode God. And in decoding Jesus and understanding Jesus, we need to understand that he is the ultimate decoder of who God is, of how God is, of the way to God. And the word there in the Greek, he has explained him. That that phrase there really says he has exegeted him. He He has unpacked God for us. He has explained God. He has exposited God for us. He has made God 
known and understandable to us in terms that we can understand. He has described God for us. When you think about it, who can explain God better than himself? I mean, really. Who can tell you how a person thinks better than that person? And we see this, that Jesus was with God. He was alongside God. Jesus, who was at the Father's side, and therefore, he was with God. He is God. It's part of the mystery of the Trinity. We'll get into all that later. But Jesus is our way of understanding God. And the good news about that is, is that to decode, to unlock, to make sense of who Jesus is, is to understand who God is and how God is and how God thinks. To understand how Jesus thinks is to understand how God thinks. Understand that we find God, that we understand God through Jesus. That makes him the ultimate decoder. And as such, that brings us to the second key for decoding Jesus as we begin this study. Jesus is, understand that Jesus is the ultimate mercy giver, the ultimate grace giver, the perfect mercy giver. Where do we see that? We see that in verses 16 and 17. From his fullness, from who he is, from his essence and nature, we have all received grace upon grace. And that's an intensifier. Mercy upon mercy. Grace upon grace upon grace upon mercy. That's the idea. Grace abounding. Mercy abounding. Overflowing. It goes on to say in verse 17, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This is a profound statement that many people either misunderstood or miss all today. Jesus has come to explain the unexplainable, to help us to discover the undiscoverable. We, here we are groping in the dark as the human race in that era, and eras before and eras after. And this light shined in the darkness and helped us find God, helped us understand God in a way that we could not before. That's mercy, because the human race, collectively and individually, had turned its back on God and had provoked the justice of God, the law of God. They had broken the law of God. When you break the law, there is a penalty. And Jesus came to give mercy, to show us the way to God. That is mercy. That is undeserved. That is better than we deserve. Grace, some people say, as God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is what is receiving what we don't deserve. And as lawbreakers, we don't deserve mercy. But he came to give it. Grace upon grace. Grace and truth. Because grace is not grace without truth. Somebody does something wrong and you just ignore it and you say, well, I'm being great. I'm grace giving. I'm merciful. No, you're not. Because you didn't tell them what the truth was to start with. You didn't tell them why they were wrong, how they can avoid it in the future. Jesus is full of grace and truth. The bad news is we're lawbreakers. That's the truth. The good news is that we can be forgiven. That's mercy. That's grace. That's who Jesus is. That's how Jesus is. In fact, later on it will say in John 3, 17 and 18, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. They are already lawbreakers because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. See, we were all dead in our trespasses and sins. We were lawbreakers. We were like puppy dogs in the dog pound, ready to be euthanized, so to speak. And somebody came and pulled us out. That's mercy. Except we were more than puppy dogs. We were human beings. This, this Jesus, uh, he came to earth to explain God to interpret God for us and to show us and to give us mercy and to, and to provide this cure for what ails us, we find the third key to decoding Jesus. Recognize as you try to understand and decode Jesus that Jesus is the ultimate soul doctor. He is the ultimate soul surgeon. 
Where do we see that? We see that in verses 12 and 14 as we, re- as we reverse engineer this passage. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood. They didn't inherit it. You can't be born a Christian if you're born into a Christian family. Nor the will of the flesh. It wasn't something they accomplished on their own. Nor the will of man. It's not something that was accomplished for them by a parent, but of God, but of the will of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, took up residence among us, pitched his tent among us, and we have seen his glory, glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. I mean, just think about that. The soul surgeon paid a house call. Some of us are old enough to remember when doctors made house calls. There was a time. It's not just a rumor. It's true. But the grace giver enable people who were cut off, the mercy giver enable people who were cut off from God to receive forgiveness. Those who embrace him, those who do not push him aside, those who do not reject him, those who do not disregard him, to those who embraced him, to those who, who received him when he came looking for them, to those he gave the right to become children of God. He fixed them. He repaired them. He made them right with God. He reconciled them. He restored them. He came to restore humanity to the relationship that it destroyed, that it damaged, that it broke. And we who were dead in our sins and trespasses, he gave the ability for us to have life, to be made alive, as Colossians says, in Christ. God did not send his son into the world the first time to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Think of this as the undercover boss. You ever watch that TV show? Some CEO comes to his company. He's working there. He's there ostensibly to learn from them to find out what is and isn't going on. Well, it's a, it's a little bit bigger than that with Jesus. He's there to tell them what's going on. He's there to clue them in. He's there to show them, to light their path, to show them the way to God. And he came bringing the cure for all that ails us. We all have a terminal disease, sin. Sin is when you do anything outside the will of God. You basically destroy yourself. And if there's not intervention, if there's not soul surgery, if there's not spiritual open-heart surgery where he takes away your dead heart and gives you a new heart, there isn't any hope, there's no life. But Jesus came to give life and to give it abundantly, that the world might be saved through him. Those who received him received a spiritual healing, a spiritual transformation, mercy upon mercy, because they didn't deserve it. We broke ourselves and he came to fix us. The decoder became flesh and took up residence with humanity. The ultimate grace giver came looking for us. That's the way it's always been when you look at it. Adam and Eve fled from God. God went out looking for them. Cain killed Abel. God said, where's your brother Abel? God came looking for Abraham. He came looking for Moses. He came looking for Israel through the prophets. He came looking for us through Jesus Christ. The soul doctor made a house call. The EMT arrived, you know, and I'm taking nothing away from EMTs, but you seldom get a neurosurgeon or a cardiac surgeon when you dial 911. You have to get to the ER, where the ER came to us. The great physician came to us. Pastor Keith Crosby on today's edition of Grace to Live. We are so blessed that you've chosen to spend time with us today studying God's Word. And if you'd like more information on Pastor Keith or Hillside Church, here's how you can connect with us. Our mailing address is 545 Hillsdale Avenue in San Jose, California, 95136. 
The church office telephone line is area code 408-269-4782. And you can connect with us on our website, which is gracetoliveradio.org. There you can check out archived messages of past sermons and also listen to Pastor Keith's weekly blog. And please remember that the Grace to Live radio program is a listener-supported ministry outreach of Hillside Church if you'd like to partner with us financially. Again, all of these things are available to you on our website, gracetoliveradio.org. Also, I'd like to remind you that Pastor Keith and the staff here at Hillside always look forward to hearing from you. So if you'd like to drop us a note, you can email us here at keith at hillside.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time for Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves. And on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you. And thanks for listening. Amen.